This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back, awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in the Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 167 of Sorta Awesome, and before we get to this week's episode, I want to give a big, sparkly thank you so much to our Sorta Awesome listener supporters. We love hearing from all of you awesomes out there listening about how much of an impact Sorta Awesome has had on your lives in big ways and in small ways through the years. And I'm the first one to tell you all, nobody learns more about life from Sort of Awesome than I do. So anyway, we always love to hear that feedback. And we are so, so thankful for those of you who have committed to giving back to Sort of Awesome and especially to our community, which is truly one of the sparkliest places on the internet, one of the best and most awesome places to hang out for sure. Thank you all so much for your monthly support. Our listener supporters do get access to all of our secret episodes that are filled with all kinds of conversations we would never share on our Friday episodes. You also get a bonus newsletter from me every month with extra goodies included, things like screen backgrounds, device backgrounds, all of that stuff. And probably best of all, you get access to our exclusive Facebook group. It's smaller, it's more intimate, it's still an incredibly awesome gathering of some of the most awesome people you've ever met. So if you have not yet signed up to become a sort of awesome listener supporter, one of our superstars, but you've been meaning to do that, now is a great time to do it. And you can do that really, really easily when you go over to sortofawesomeshow.com slash support. Okay, like I said at the top of the show, this is episode 167. I'm joined this week by my very dear friend who <laughs> we always get to giggling when we get together and I have a feeling this week's episode will be no different. I'm joined this week by my dear friend and the creator of SimplyRebecca.com, Rebecca Hoffer. Hello, Rebecca. How are you? Hi, Meg. Hello, awesomes. I'm so happy to be here, ready to laugh with you. <laughs> I know. Well, Rebecca and I love to talk about pop culture. It's something we've really been talking about, doing deep dives on, having all kinds of discussions on really since the show began back in 2015. Rebecca and I always have thoughts and words and big feelings about all things pop culture. And since that's what we're focusing on this month in October here on Sorta Awesome is just the awesome of pop culture, we thought it would be so fun to do a deep dive on a topic that I don't think, and again, Rebecca, correct me if I'm wrong. Have we ever really gotten into the whole romance genre of life on Sort of Awesome before? I don't think so. I mean, I think maybe some of our awesomes of the week, certainly some of mine may have like hinted in that direction, but I don't think we have spent like a whole hour dedicated to this I fabulous know. topic. <laughs> I know. It's really quite surprising, especially given the text messaging between you and I about our various obsessions that mostly have to do with romances and pop culture. It's true. <laughs> Whether they're movies or TV shows or whatever. So you guys buckle up and prepare because we are here to do a deep dive into all of the awesomes of romance in pop culture. We're going to be talking about TV shows and movies and even songs and music. We're going to talk about some of our favorites from our past, some of the ones that we are loving as adults. And then we're going to do a little rapid fire at the end where we talk about some of the best love triangles. And we officially cast our votes for the best couples that have come from those love triangles in pop culture. So we have a lot to cover. We are going to get to all of that in just a few minutes. But first, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. 
This is that moment in the show where we take just a few minutes to tell you all about the books, the TV shows, the movies, podcasts, products, whatever it is that is making life just a little bit more awesome for us right now. Rebecca, I can't wait to hear what you brought for us this week. I have brought a Netflix original reality show competition called Sugar Rush. Oh, yes. Oh, good. Okay. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this. I love it too. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been watching Sugar Rush with my children. I have a third grader and a kindergartner, and we are really enjoying this competitive baking show. So the premise of the show is that you have four couples who are competing in each episode. It's different people. And at the end of each episode, they award $10,000 to the best bakers in the show. And there's three rounds of competition in each episode. So the first round, everybody has to make a cupcake. The second round, it's confections. The third round, it's a cake. And it's not just like a sheet cake. It's like, oh my word, jaw-dropping creations. Actually, in every single round, they're just incredible. And then each episode has a different theme that the contestants have to incorporate into each round, such as there was an ocean theme, candy, fashion, and then they just have to use that in their creations. It is super quick moving. The time clock is crunching. It's super fast. It's incredibly impressive. And it's clean for kids. I have thoroughly enjoyed watching it with my children and they're engrossed in it also. It's just a fun show. It's Sugar Rush on Netflix. It really is so fun and it is a fantastic family show. I have loved watching it with my girls. Yeah, I can't really, I mean, I would just be repeating everything you just said, but basically I'm here to co-sign and give my also stamp of approval here because it is so fun. I'm surprised we haven't even talked about it yet on Sort of Awesome, especially since we just did a whole deep dive on Netflix. It's pretty fantastic. And so, you know, as the weather's turning cooler and you may be looking for things to do with your kids while you're in the house, if the weather has got you inside, then I think this is a great one. Yeah, the only downside is that my daughter, Grace, is like, I think I want to bake now. And I'm like, oh, number one, mama doesn't bake that much. Number two, we can't pull off what they are doing. Like, there's just no way, no way. These creations are so impressive, guys. It's really fun to watch them come together. They're like creating artistic masterpieces, really. Yeah, so fun. I love it. Okay, so that's Sugar Rush on Netflix. My awesome of the week this week is a pair of jeans that I just got that I'm super loving. Now, we have talked about jeans a few times. Yes, but I'm sorry. Record scratch. What? Meg? (laughs) Number one, wearing jeans? Number two, loving them? Yes. I know. Well, I've said this a couple of times on this show, but I decided this year, this fall, to do the style challenge from Get Your Pretty On. We had Allison Labattis on the show earlier this year and she was talking about fall trends and stuff. And I was like, you know, I genuinely have gotten stuck in my own comfort rut with my maxi dresses and long skirts and stuff, which I always feel like I'm cheating because I get a lot of, you know, compliments on them when I'm out and about with people kind of presuming that I've made that some extra effort if I'm wearing a dress. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not trying to like low key compliment my own taste. I'm just saying that when you, generally speaking, when you work from home, but you're out and about in public and you're wearing a dress, then people presume like, oh, you're really dressed up. But the truth is the things that I took are so comfortable. Most of the time, it's like wearing my pajamas out in public because they're just that comfortable. So yes, anyway, so I'm doing the style challenge and included in the fall capsule that Allison put together, she encouraged you to pick up a couple of pairs of jeans. And so... One of them was a pair of black jeans. (laughs) What's funny? It's funny because, no, you're the only person who got the style challenge that (laughs) needed to go out and pick up a couple pairs of jeans. For everybody else in the nation, it was like, wear your jeans, (laughs) get them out of your closet, put them on for this day. (laughs) Everybody else marked like, yep, got that, got that. And then Meg was like, oh, wait, I need to go shopping. I literally have one pair of jeans. What am I going to do? (laughs) Well, okay, I could go on a whole rabbit trail, but that's not the point of this. Okay, anyway, I needed some new jeans, specifically a black pair of jeans. We've talked about jeans in the past. You had a great pair from H&M. I picked up, this has been a while ago, but some Denison's for Levi jeans that I picked up at Target that I really liked for a while. 
Okay. But I decided this year, I'm going to practice what we preach. It's sort of awesome. And I'm going to actually invest in something that's a staple that I know that I'll be wearing for more than just this fall. And I'm going to go ahead and make the investment, even though it means accepting the size that I am right now, because even I do still have that tucked away in my mind of like, if I could just like, you know, drop 15 pounds, then I'd be at a different size. And then it just like keeps not happening, which is fine. But I need to accept that and then buy clothes accordingly, which again, this is something that we've preached about on Sort of Awesome. So it was time to do it. So I decided after many years of hearing people raving about this brand to pick up a pair from Not Your Daughter's Jeans which is they kind of rebranded as NYDJ, I guess that's their acronym. So anyway, I went with, even though this was not specifically in the capsule, Allison's ideas and suggestions were more shaped around like doing like a skinny cut, which I've tried. And I know that there are people that love those. Rebecca, I am still a creature of habit in that I love my boot cut of jeans. They're my favorites. And so I thought if I'm going to pay more money, if I'm going to invest in something, I'm going to get the cut that I really know I really like instead of always trying to push myself to really like skinny jeans when I've tried them for years and I just don't like them, but I do like boot cuts. So NYDJ has a style or a cut of jeans called the Barbara boot cut and they have it in black. And one thing that, you know, NYDJ does, it's called Not Your Daughter's Jeans because they understand how women's bodies change over time and where you might need a little extra support when you're wearing your jeans. So they have their exclusive lift tuck technology that has, it does like a crisscross design in the panel in the front to kind of just give you that little boost of support that you might need. You had me at lift and tuck. (laughs) That's like exactly what I want out of like all my clothes. (laughs) I know, right? Exactly. So I decided I'm going to go ahead and invest in these because if I'm going to wear jeans, the truth is the reason I don't wear jeans very much is because they're just not that comfortable to me. But I thought, okay, I'll try this brand because people have really, truly been raving about them for so long that they just love them. Now, the price tag normally is like, I think it's $119 for a pair. However, I'm a longtime member of and fan of shopping on Zulily. And you will see in my DJ jeans pop up from time to time on Zulily. So I decided to look over there and sure enough, they had this style of jeans in. And so I picked up a pair that were priced at like $59.99 on Zulily. By the time I paid tax and shipping, it was just a little over 70. So I feel like this is a good price point. If you're ready for like, I need a, like a real pair of jeans that I'm going to feel good in that look good on me. And I am ready to spend a little bit more money than I would at Target, but I'm not quite ready to make that real investment point. So anyway, so like I said, just over $70. I am loving them. They are genuinely so comfortable. I'm like, I forgot that jeans could feel this comfortable. And this is what I've been missing all these years. So again, this is the Barber Boot Cut. I got them in black. I believe they have them in a regular denim wash from NYTJ. I will put links in the show notes where you can find them, you know, at your local department store or whatever. And also drop a link to Zulily in there in case you're not a member. I mean, I have such a love-hate relationship with Zulily. I do feel like they have really good deals. I have to be really selective Because I will go and be like, oh, that's a great price. Oh, that's a great price. That's a great price. Yes. Yes. They're all good prices. (laughs) They're all good prices. (laughs) And then before you know it, I've completely spent way too much money. So anyway, they've really been great, Rebecca. So I'm here to testify about the NYDJ jeans. Welcome to the American culture. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's true. You're not wrong even a little bit on that. So, okay. Well, those are our awesomes of the week. You know that we will have links and show notes for you. But more importantly, don't forget that every single Friday, we want to hear what is awesome in your life right now. We ask you over on Instagram. We put up a post and say, come and tell us awesomes of Instagram. What is awesome in your life? What's your awesome of the week? And we have our longtime tradition in the sort of awesome hangout group of opening up the floor. We get so many comments, Rebecca. I love that thread. If you ever even just need a shot in the arm that is going to help you remember there is good in this world and good things are happening in people's lives and people are finding and sharing amazing things. 
that thread is like an automatic, like just mood boost for me every Friday. I love it. Anyway, you can find us on Instagram over at Sorta Awesome Show and on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. All right, awesomes, it's official. This week, I, like many of you probably, I put away my sandals and my flip-flops for the last time, never to be seen again until next spring. That means from here on out, it's all boots all the time. I'm here to let you in on a little secret though. If you need to do a little boot shopping yourself, you can find all of the hottest trends without breaking the bank and say 30% off of retail as a Shoe Dazzle VIP. Remember, Shoe Dazzle is the club for the shoe obsessed, but it's not just shoes. Honestly, millions of women say that Shoe Dazzle is their one-stop shop for all things trendy, including clothing, accessories, and handbags. So whether you're doing a little boot shopping this fall, maybe looking for some new booties or sweaters or jeans, Shoe Dazzle has everything that you need for fall and winter. You can shop as a guest, or become a VIP. And let me tell you, the VIP membership is by far the best way to go. VIPs save 30% off of most retail prices all day, every day. And plus they get those all important free shipping and returns. We VIPs get access to tons of other exclusive sales and perks. Not only did I find the most darling pair of cowgirl boots there this year, I also picked up some super fun slip-on sneakers in rose gold. They are so fun and sparkly. I probably would never have picked them out, but when I saw them on Shoe Dazzle, I could not say no. When you visit the site for the first time, you're given a style quiz so that Shoe Dazzle can personalize your shopping experience. Don't forget to select VIP membership at checkout. It's a flexible membership, so each month you can choose to either shop or skip. Shoe Dazzle releases hot new styles every week, so you will never be wondering, what should I wear again? So guess what? If you go to shoedazzle.com slash awesome now and sign up as a VIP, you're going to get 50% off of your first order. How awesome is that? It's shoedazzle.com slash awesome to get half off everything on the site. You guys do it today. The hottest style sell out fast shoedazzle.com slash awesome. All right. Like I said, we are going to be talking this week all about romance in pop culture. I just did an appearance on another podcast, the currently reading podcast. Now, if you're listening to this, when this show drops on the first day, this episode isn't out yet, but keep an eye out on our social media because we're going to tell you when my episode of Currently Reading is up with two awesomes, Meredith and Katie are the hosts of that show. I was chatting with Meredith Schwartz, who you all know. She's been on Sort of Awesome before telling us all about Penelope Loves Lists. Anyway, on Currently Reading, they talk about what they're currently reading. And so I was telling her that I just read the most lovely little confection of a book that's a romance called, well, no, I'm not going to tell you what it's called. You got to go listen to the episode to find Ooh. out which one I was talking about. <laughs> but as I was preparing to go on currently reading and talk about a romance book, I was thinking, we just really do not talk about romance very much on Sort of Awesome. But there's so much here to talk about. It's such a fun part of pop culture in a lot of ways drives that sort of romantic vibe drives a lot of plot points, whether you are talking about books or TVs or movies, all of those things, that romantic vibe is often what's driving the plot. And so just be prepared for the fact that it's going to maybe be a little spoilery. I promise you, we are not talking about anything that just came out like last month. Most of this has been out for a while, but just be prepared that you might accidentally get spoiled if you're <laughs> a few years behind, if you're still reading Mark Twain. <laughs> yes, <Ke> Kelly. <laughs> Kelly, if you're yes. listening, this is for you. <laughs> some of these things, I have something on my list from 1992. So oh. I, I'm just warning you, Kelly, this might be a little recent for you. <laughs> I wish I could see her face right now. Be warned. <laughs> Okay. Well, Rebecca, you know, one thing that we love to do is kind of take a walk down memory lane together and talk about things that were important to us in the past. So why don't you kick us off? Tell us about some couples or a romance story or whatever from your past that you can remember being super into. Yes. Shall we go back to 1992? <laughs> Let's do. Okay. Let's do. So I was 10 in 1992. And that is the year that the movie Far and Away with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman was released. I can't believe you were 10. I was fully in high school when that movie came out. <laughs> but okay, yes. I didn't actually watch it when I was 10. I watched it a few years later when they released it on TV. 
And they did it as a two-night special. Do you remember when they used to do that? If a movie was like so long, they would break it up and then you'd have to wait and see the rest of it. And so I had it recorded on VHS and I loved that movie. I watched it so many times. Oh my word, I was obsessed. So the movie stars Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. They play Jacob and Shannon and they are from Ireland and they find themselves kind of forced together in this weird circumstance where suddenly they are in the United States as immigrants coming with the hope of land. And they're kind of like stuck together in circumstances. Shannon has no money. Jacob has taken her on. They're like poor together. He ends up going and becoming this like famous boxer. And he has all this notoriety and this fame and this wealth. And like the tables have turned because she came from a very wealthy family and he had nothing. And so there's just this like strange like power dynamic between them. And they're pretending to be siblings. But at the core of it all, there's this just this tension building between them. Oh, my goodness. I just loved it so much. It like goes to at my core. I love a romance that has a slow burn. I just love that because I think it feels so much more relatable than like, oh, I bumped into him and suddenly we like fell into bed madly in love. Like Mm -hmm. when you can like see like the little details of something where like this doesn't happen in this movie, but I remember watching another movie where the protagonists, the lead characters, they end up sharing a drink out of the same cup, which is something so intimate. It's not even like a plot point. It just happens in the scene. And you're just watching that and you're like, whoa, these two have like developed something. I just love that so much. But, you know, not everybody loved this movie. So I found a quote (laughs) from Roger Ebert that says, Far and Away is a movie that joins astonishing visual splendor with a story so simple-minded it seems intended for adolescents. (laughs) That explains why I super loved it in high school. (laughs) He goes on to say, it's depressing that such a lavish and expensive production starring an important actor like Tom Cruise could be devoted to such a shallow story. Well, yes, Roger, I ate it up. I was an adolescent who ate it up. Just loved it. (laughs) Yes. Every single time I think of that movie, of course, the iconic line that comes to mind for me is, tell me Me I like my my hat, hat. Shannon. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me I like my hat. Oh, I love it so much. (laughs) That is a good one to obsess over for sure. I love that movie too. And I actually haven't thought about it in a while. Now I want to go back and rewatch it again. I have no idea how many times I have seen that movie, but I will tell you the answer is not one or even two. Oh my goodness. I was watching some clips on YouTube and I was just like, oh yes, yes, yes. Now I remember again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, speaking of movies that God bless America, I have seen a lot. The very, very, very first one. Okay. So we're going to go even further back in time than 1992, all the way back to 1987 with the release of The Princess Bride. Ah, The Princess Bride. Yes. This was my very, very, very first real true romance that I was like in love with. I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it, I guess it must have been a couple of years later because I can remember specifically where I was the first time I watched this. I was at a sleepover at a friend's house. Her mom, I think they owned it. It wasn't even like checked out from Blockbuster. I think they had the actual VHS tape. Of course. I can visualize the cover, everything. So we were having a little sleepover and we watched The Princess Bride. And from the moment Carrie always, as Wesley, looks at the camera and says in response to Buttercup, as you wish. And then Buttercup realizes that all the while he's been saying that he has meant I love you. Like I was, that was it. I was all in on the story of The Princess Bride. So, I mean, do I even need to tell you all what it's about? <laughs> okay, well, no, you probably don't, except I like literally don't know what you're talking about. I've seen the movie one time and don't. This is a scandal and a disgrace. How are you a woman in America around the same age that I'm in and you've seen The Princess Bride once? I don't. Okay, so I remember that like everybody was kind of obsessed with it. And so I saw it at like some party or something. I don't know. And I was just like, eh, like, I don't get it. 
I know. I'm sorry. I'm the worst. I know. I'm the worst. I don't know. I think that's okay. All right. Like I said, I was like in seventh or eighth grade. So I think if it, like it had to maybe land in a certain moment in time for you, I guess, for it to really land. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of other women out there listening who are like, I was five when it came out and I totally am obsessed. So I hate to like burst your bubble of excitement, but it sounds really sweet that like, as you wish, I love you moment. That sounds sweet. I could get into that. Yeah, it's very romantic. I'm telling you. So this was when I was really, you know, seventh, eighth grade. That's when you're starting to like think about like romances and what it would be like if somebody was in love with you or if you fell in love with somebody. So yeah, Carrie Always, Robin Wright, who is amazing and a gift to our culture, to our pop culture, just in general, plays Buttercup. Mandy Patinkin is in it, Wallace Shawn, Andre the Giant. I mean, such a fantastic cast. So much. I mean, it is definitely pop culture obsession. They've done, you know, sort of like reunion get togethers and all kinds of stuff just to keep that Princess Bride love alive, I think. Of course, I don't know if you remember this, the the context for the Princess Bride bride is that Peter Falk plays a grandfather who's reading the story out loud from a book to his grandson who's homesick in bed and his grandson is Fred Savage. Are you familiar with who Fred Savage is, Rebecca? Yeah, that's like the only name you've said. (laughs) That's ringing any bells with me. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to go ahead and take my dentures out, obviously. I didn't realize quite how old I actually am. Anyway, it's so darling. I don't even know what to say. You either love it or hate it at this point, I'm sure. But yeah, it's such a great one. I love this movie so much and I watched it so many times that there's this really sweet song at the end as the credits roll. I can remember, Rebecca, that I like, (laughs) we had this on VHS. I got a pen and paper. I loved that song that plays over the credits at the end so much. I wrote down the lyrics to it. Like I would listen to a line, stop it on the VCR so I could write down the lyrics, play it, listen to another line, stop it so I could write it down so that I could memorize the song so I could just sing it and take that magic with me even when I wasn't watching the movie. Oh, that's really sweet. But I think what you said there makes sense about it being released during this really formative time in your life of you like discovering romance. I feel like for me, that's part of the reason why I love The Notebook. All right. Because The Notebook came out in 2004. I was married in 2005. And so there I was watching Noah and Allie's very complicated and passionate love story and thinking, yes, this is what I want for me. Look, I'm like engaged. I'm getting married. I'm like newly married. And this too shall be my life where I will die in the arms of this man in bed and it will be glorious. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I just loved it so much. And I loved watching The Notebook with my new husband. My husband, Nate, is an emotional man, okay? He is not afraid to cry. We were on a family vacation and we watched The Notebook with my parents. And at the end, I, with a supernatural strength, was holding it together. It was not my first time seeing it. It wasn't Nate's first time either, but I held it together. I look over at my new husband and he is just crying. And he looks at me and I'm holding it together by the grace of God. He looks at my parents they're not crying. And he's just like, how am I the only one crying? Right. Like, what's wrong with you, robots? <laughs> Come on. Exactly. I just love the passion between Noah and Allie. I love the grit in their relationship. It's like what makes it one of the best love stories of all time. Because like, they want to quit each other. But their love is like a drug addiction that they just can't shake off and it's all consuming and that just oh I just like want that for myself and I just love it so much (laughs) you have not seen the notebook I still haven't seen it Rebecca I still haven't seen it I know I'm the worst now something that I've heard from those who have not seen this is that like you don't want to watch a movie that like makes you cry but Meg this movie makes you cry out of beauty not out of sorrow and that is what I just love about it. And again, it's like one of those like slow burn relationships where they're together and it's hot and passionate and then they fall apart. But then like his heart like can't move on and it's just like, oh my goodness, I just, I can't say enough about this movie. I get it. I do. I do. I still haven't seen it. Maybe someday I will. 
I feel like we have low key learned a lot about the Hoffer marriage today. <laughs> well, you're going to learn more. Stay tuned. Hey, this is exciting. <laughs> well, okay, well, so speaking of like movies just kind of coming to you at a time and space, I don't know. What was it about the year 1987? My second one that I wanted to talk about is also was released in 87. And that's the movie Dirty Dancing. Oh, hey, I have seen that one. (laughs) (laughs) More than once. Yes, more than once. And my sister had the soundtrack on cassette tape and I inherited it from her. Is that still like the best soundtrack of all time? That soundtrack is definitely top three best movie soundtrack ever, ever, ever created. Yes. Have I told this story on the show? I can't remember I've told this story on the show or in real life. That's the subtext of all of my conversations, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Really can't remember anymore. Does this sound familiar to you? This is the absolute truth. When That came out when I was like in fifth grade. And I was not allowed to see the movie for sure when it was in theater. I did see it again at a slumber party a few years later. <laughs> so, oh, you lot- scandalous little thing. <laughs> I know, I know. My parents had really strict rules about movies when I was growing up, but then also they let me spend the night with friends a lot. And so anyway, they had the soundtrack on cassette tape. And the time, this seems like so crazy to me now, but we were allowed to bring our boom boxes to school. Do you know what a boombox is, Rebecca? (laughs) You're looking at me with puzzlement. No, puzzlement over taking it to school. I know what a boombox is. I'm like, why would your school allow that? That seems very, that seems like a recipe for disaster. This was small town Oklahoma. I mean, it was, I don't know, whatever. We were allowed to bring our boomboxes to school and we could listen to them at recess. So we did. And so a friend would bring her boombox and I would bring my Dirty Dancing soundtrack and we would put the tape in and make up choreography. Oh, yes. Right there on the playground to the songs from Dirty Dancing. The best use of your 30 minutes of fresh air, guaranteed. For sure. It seems like it was a lot more than 30 minutes, but maybe that's just my memory. Anyway, the story of Johnny and Baby, real name's Francis, of course. And I don't know that you would call this even really a slow burn because it seems like it's pretty hot chemistry-wise right from the start in that takes place at a camp in New York in the 50s, 60s. Surely it was the 60s. Okay, summer of 1963 is when it takes place at a resort in the Catskill Mountains. And the dancing background of Dirty Dancing was, I just found it to be very scandalous. Again, my parents had very strict rules around this type of thing. So when I watched, I was I was scandalized, but in a intrigued way. <laughs> of course, when I watched it when I was like in junior high, there were some plot lines going on that I did not even actually fully understand. Now, when I watch it, I'm like, no wonder my parents don't let me watch this. There's some complicated adult issues happening here in the background of Jotty and Baby's love story. But anyway, I don't know. Dirty Dancing. I mean, it's not even like, There's nothing new or revelatory about this story. It's just two kids meet, fall in love, dancing dirtily. (laughs) (laughs) Dirtily. That's just about all there is to it. But it's still on the list of one of my favorites from my past, for sure. Oh, I love it. Okay, well, I hinted that you're going to learn more about Nate and I. So here it comes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Another blast from the past. One of my most favorite romances of all time is a psalm by the popular Mexican group, Mana. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I have a feeling you're not going to know the psalm. The psalm is called Vivir Sin Aire, which means to live without air. And let me just set the stage for you of what was happening in my life and how the song got introduced to me. So it's 2003. I was 21 years old. Nate and I had been dating for approximately five months. I was studying Spanish in Guatemala, and my heart was practically in shambles because the greatest love of my life was back in the States. (laughs) We, at that point, were already like, I mean, head over heels. Like, we just, we knew. Like, we had exchanged I love yous. We had talked about that, yes, we'll probably get married. But, you know, I was like halfway through this semester abroad, and it was just like, oh my goodness. Like the heartbreak was just like deafening. So I was in Spanish class and we were assigned to translate the psalm. 
And let me read to you an English translation of some of these lyrics, okay? I'm not going to sing it. Insert beautiful music here. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so now the English translation is, how much I'd like to be able to live without air, how much I'd like to be able to live without water, I'd love to love you a little bit less. How much I'd love to be able to live without you, but I can't. I feel like I'm dying. I am drowning without your love. Dang. Later, it goes on to say, (laughs) how could a fish swim without water, bird fly without wings, a flower blossom without soil? How much I would like to be able to live without you, but I can't. Oh my goodness. And there I was, so heavily in love in Guatemala, missing my beloved (laughs) Nate, and also drowning without his love. Oh. Oh, wow. (sighs) I love this song so much. This made an appearance on our wedding favor we nate and i made a cd of some of our favorite love songs and this one was featured on that cd that we handed out to our guests oh that's pretty sweet and that song sounds super intense but yeah Uh, which is like it's like me like that's how i am like kind of super intense yes it was a good fit for that time in my life (laughs) it left a lasting impression Oh, I love it. That's pretty great. And I can see too, like, you know, we've talked a lot about just the context of what's going on in your life makes a big difference into as to what you're into. So yeah, the intensity of the feelings and here you are like, thousands of miles away. And yeah, makes sense that intensity would speak to you. For sure. Okay, well, speaking of intensity, as we think about pop culture couples through the years, One that stands out in the sort of Hall of Fame of pop culture couples is Ross and Rachel from Friends. But I want to assert an opinion that the actual true real romance and love story from Friends is not Ross and Rachel. It's Monica and Chandler. Agree or disagree? Well, uh, yeah. Okay. So like, yeah, I, (laughs) (laughs) or you actually are just like, oh, whatever. (laughs) I. Definitely watched Friends, but I definitely was not like a hardcore Friends watcher and did not see like every episode. So I am not one of those people who've seen the series from start to finish. I don't have as passionate of feelings about Friends. I feel like I'm disappointing you on like all levels here. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not. That makes sense. I remember. So Friends sort of in the, the heyday of Ross and Rachel was when I was a freshman in college and we would get together in our sorority to watch it together. Like the Ross and Rachel tension in the early seasons was such a huge part of that show. I mean, in retrospect, a lot of Ross and Rachel's storyline is super problematic. And we can talk more about problematic romances later because it's a fine, fine line a lot of the time between healthy and toxic when it comes to romance and pop culture. You know, it's problems like the tension was enjoyable for sure. But also the whole like they broke up because they were on a break. And then like Ross actually believed they were on a break and got together with someone else. And then Rachel was so furious about it. She was the one that said they were on a break. I mean, that's just like one moment of the problematic arch (laughs) in Ross and Rachel. But what I really, really, really love about Chandler and Monica is they did not come together as a romantic couple until the series had been on for several years. And they really, truly had such a strong foundation of friendship. And then that just really amplified, I feel like, their story. There was chemistry there for sure between the two of them. I think for anybody who has had that friendship turn into romance over time kind of thing, like just one day you realize, oh my gosh, like, who is this person? I thought we were just friends, but then it's something else. Then I don't know. I just think it's so sweet. And then I don't know, then they get married and you just see them as the series, you know, comes to a conclusion going through just like the real struggles of married life and starting a family and those types of things. Anyway, I don't know. I just, you know, Friends is definitely one that had a lot of fodder for romance through the years, as a lot of sitcoms do. But I'm here to totally vote Team Chandler Monica as the best romance from that show. I'll take it. (laughs) That's great. Let's fast forward a little bit. Now that we're grownups, maybe our context is different. And maybe we're into different things or maybe not. Maybe as it turns out, we still love the things we loved when we were teenagers. Let's find out. What are some of your favorite 
things now that you're a grown up in terms of romance. I'm sorry. You said, let's find out. I totally thought you said, sluts, find out. (laughs) Well, I recently, just this past month, fell in love with a book series that is going to be my awesome of the week, but it just needs to be talked about here. It is the Selection Series by Kiera Cass. So this book, it's like a trilogy. Actually, there's five parts. I've read the first three and is like, The Bachelor meets The Hunger Games. I mean, come on. That has Rebecca written all over it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. That's at the intersection of everything that you love. So. (laughs) I know. It's like perfection. So it's a young adult novel. It takes place in a dystopian future where there's a caste system that is keeping the nation somewhat under control. And it's time for the main royalty that is ruling the land, Prince Maxon, it's time for him to find a wife. And the tradition is when it is time for the young prince to find a wife, what they do is they have and host the selection. And in that, they take 35 young women, one from each state, and they are brought to the palace to live there for several months and date and pursue Prince Maxon. And it's all projected onto television for the nation to love and enjoy. And he eliminates people here and there. And so while everyone else there is eager to become the future princess, you have the protagonist, her name is America. And she is there basically just to reap the financial benefits for her family because she's in a lower caste system. And when you become one of the selected, you're automatically elevated up to a higher caste. And you receive payment that she can send home to her family. Plus, she's mending a broken heart from a boy back home, and so she's using this to kind of give herself some distance. Well, her, like, you know, disconnect from the game as it goes, of course, like, draws Max's attention, and he's like, well, wait a minute. Like, maybe this is actually the one who maybe I like and who I want. And so you just see this relationship developing over time So then you have America, who's very similar to Katniss Everdeen in a lot of ways, where you see this kind of unexpected leadership of this rebellion that's kind of like brewing under the surface. She kind of becomes the spokeswoman for change in their nation. And Mm. it's just really Mm -hmm. good. I mean, come on. The Bachelor meets The Hunger Games? I just loved it. So the very first novel is called The Selection. Again, it's by Kira Cass. I got it from the library. It's actually a five-part series. I've read the first three and really enjoyed them. Fantastic. Okay. Well, I wanted to talk too about a book series. Now, admittedly, I've only read the first book in this series, but it is an investment of time and energy to read it. And that is Outlander, which... Oh, I have heard of this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is a very grown-up romance for sure. I read this a few years ago and it's one of those books like once I started, I could not put it down. So the book is written by Diana Gabaldon. Gabaldon? I'm not sure. That's one of those names I've read a million times, but I've never really known how to pronounce it. So here we go. There's a whole series of them. The first book is called Outlander and it's the love story between Claire Randall and Jamie Fraser. And it is a romance that has time travel mixed in. So of course, you know, I love stuff like that. It came out in 1991. It's been the whole series and definitely that first book has been around for a while. It's historical fiction, which I normally do not love, but this is so well written. Like it's just such a fantastic book in terms of writing and structure and like all the things that you want from historical fiction. It is not in any way like cheesy. There's adventure. There is like, again, with the time travel, there's some sci-fi fantasy elements to it. But the love story between Jamie and Claire is very compelling. Their chemistry is very hot in their story for sure. Now, something happens at the end of this first book that is troubling. It's meant to be. It's not problematic in the sense that the author didn't know what she was doing. She knew exactly what she was doing. It's very upsetting if you develop big feelings and attachments towards characters as I do. And I had a hard time. I could not move on in the series. I was so upset about what happened at the end of Outlander. But I did actually pick up the second book and kind of tried to get into it. I just couldn't. And maybe I'll give it a try again another time because I know people that 
love this series. Like they've read every book or they've listened to it. I've heard it's fantastic on audio because it takes place in Scotland. And so really being able to hear the Scottish accent, I think would really add to the reading of the book, but super, super, super spicy in places. And I'm sure there are many husbands and partners across America that are across the world, probably that are not sad that (laughs) their partner in their life has read this book, because it's definitely very inspiring. But also, if you don't want to get, you know, sucked into the whole series of novels, Stars has made an adaptation, I know, at least in the first couple of books, I feel like, and it's really well done. Kyle watched it with me, and he's not one to really be super into romances, but it's very compelling. There's lots of adventure components to it too. So I think even if that's more your thing, you could get into it. But yeah, I have a lot of warm feelings and affection for the first book in the Outlander series. I just need to just push forward and get through the rest of them. But they're really long books. Okay. Really. It's an investment of time and energy for sure. And how many books are in the series? As far as I can tell, there are eight books right now, but it does also look like there's a ninth coming out in the future. Like she's currently writing the ninth one, but there's eight right now. And again, they are long books. So, but well worth it. I really understand what you're saying about kind of like grieving the ending of something. I feel like in romances a lot, like the ending is can really make or break a good romance. And you'll have a really good like rom-com type of movie. And then it just ends in just a way that's just kind of dumb. And it can really leave like a bad taste in your mouth. And even if that's not quite what has happened here, I do understand needing to like take a moment for your feelings. (laughs) And I'm sure totally yes, the awesomes will rally around you and give you all the support that you need. (laughs) Yes. As you begin the next book. For sure. Oh, I know. I'll have plenty of cheerleaders cheering me on if I do go ahead and get back into the series. So yeah, that's a good grown up one though. When I think about romantic movies, I just keep going back to this movie that I watched on a whim on Netflix. It's called The Rebound. It has Catherine Zeta-Jones and Justin Barath. Have you heard of this movie? I don't think I have. Okay. Well, I don't think it's super popular. Because it was originally released in 2009, like abroad, but then there was some problems with distribution and it then went straight to DVD and like download rentals in 2012. So it never actually hit the theater. So I'm not sure that it actually ever gained a lot of momentum, Mm, but I love it so much. It's not on Netflix anymore, but you can watch it on Amazon. You can rent it there. It's rated R. And it's one of those movies that has the ending that you want. (laughs) Yes. So it is about Sandy, played by Catherine Zia-Jones, and she's fresh out of a divorce after finding out about her husband's affair. So she moves to New York City, and she hires Aram to be the nanny to her two children. Now, he is 15 years younger than her. He's kind of trying to figure out his life and what he's doing. And she, of course, is trying to figure out her life. And then there just develops this friendship that kind of sparks into more. But then there's like all this real life, like questioning about, well, but wait, what about this 15 year age difference? You know, like he doesn't have any kids. She has two. What is this going to mean for them? I am sad that it's not on Netflix anymore because this is a movie that I have like rewatched. And at times I would love to go back and just rewatch it again tonight. It is just adorable, but yet just grown up enough. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I totally do. I think especially when you are grown up and when things take you into the context of romance as a grown up. And like you said, they're dealing with like real life issues like children. And you know, if one person has children, one person doesn't like, it just makes it more when it's more relatable when you're a grown up. Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, I can't relate at all to like dating somebody 15 years younger than I am. I mean, (laughs) yeah. I know it's yes, they are like grown people. This is not like me watching, you know, two high school seniors falling in love, which there is a time and a place for that as well, of course. Yes. And it's called to all the boys I've loved before. (laughs) Yes. But these are two grown people. And it's also one of those relationships that kind of takes them by surprise. And I'm like a sucker for that too, you know? Like that there's just something again, it's like that slow burn. I just really love it. And it has an ending that I didn't quite see coming, but yet it is just the best. I'm not going to spoil that one because I feel like it's maybe not the most popular, but I just love, I love the rebound. 
So good. Another thing that we have, I mean, you talked about a little bit, you talked about your Spanish song from the intensity of, you know, being in your, what did you say you're like 21 in your early 20s? Yes, 21. So when you find a song that kind of like reminds you of all of the emotions of romance when you're an adult, I think that's really quite something too, something memorable. So I think I've talked about this song before, but I'm going to give it another shout out. I'm actually going to play as much of this as I can get away with playing. <laughs> the song is from Nate Roos, who you may know as the frontman for the band Fun. But on his solo album, which is called Grand Romantic. Mm, so perfect. hello. Yes. The song is called Nothing Without Love, which again is perfect for what we're talking about. I love this song so much. It is to me the modern version of like the power ballad that you probably don't remember this, but from the 80s when it's just those power ballads that were very love oriented and a little screamy too, but this is like the more modern updated version of it. And I'm going to play you a little bit so you can kind of get an idea of what I mean. on heavy rotation. Kyle knows this song by heart too, because I play it all the time. I love just this kind of, there's the undertone of like, he's pining for someone, which yes. I'm a sucker for a pining oh, yes. story for yes, sure. I am. But at the same time, it's upbeat. It's highly singable. I love this song so much. Again, it's Nothing Without Love by Nate Roos. Well, lastly here, we cannot talk about romances that we have gotten swept away with without talking about Gossip Girl. Gossip <laughs> Girl, the show that we both discovered as adults, but it's not meant for us, but we still loved it. Oh, it was so <laughs> meant for me. Awesomes, you have heard me talk about Gossip Girl time and time again. It still stands by as the best binge of my life. I watched it straight through on Netflix and I still have it like in my Netflix list. Yeah. yeah because yeah. like I can't like even though there's they're not going to make anymore. <laughs> Literally never going to be a new episode. But yeah, I can't like let go. It's like normally when I watch something, I click it off that list and I don't have it there anymore. But I, I just can't let go of Gossip Girl. I follow a fan accounts on Instagram. I just love it so much. <laughs> but, Meg, we've heard me talk about it like so much. So I want to hear from like your perspective, like what is your fascination with the love stories of Gossip Girl? Okay, first of all, the whole setting, the whole idea of it all is completely unrelatable to me. And so I think sometimes you want something you can relate to. Sometimes you want total escapism and Gossip Girl's backdrop of like this fancy hoity-toity private school in New York City and all of the drama and things that unfold there. It's totally not anything I've ever experienced, but I loved it. So there's that aspect to the backdrop of it. But we've talked about our shared love for Chuck Bass and the sort of bad boy thing that he has going on. Not just sort of, he's like the archetype. Of. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I saw you like frown a little bit when I said sort of. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 not that you have to take the sort of out. <laughs> He's the ultimate bad boy. And then the love story, of course, you know, the Dan and Serena love story is one that's also going on and is complicated and evolves over time. But to me, I really feel like the Chuck and Blair love story and storyline, because they're both such strong characters. Sometimes in romances, you have one person who's like very strong, big personality, and then a person who's almost like a supporting character in the love story. But when it comes to Blair and Chuck, they are both very strong, very self-possessed, very determined people. And then you throw in, I am such a sucker for the bad boy thing. Now, there's problematic things that happen and that he does and says, for sure, he's not likable. Like on the surface, on paper, he shouldn't be likable. But the way Ed Westwick plays him and his charisma and all of it. <laughs> really something. <laughs> and, and all of it. <laughs> and all of it is something. So yeah, I'm team Chuck and Blair forever for that show. 
Well, the thing about Gossip Girl is that if you don't like who somebody's paired up with uh-huh. in any given episode, just hold on. They're going to mix it up. Like everybody dates everybody and you just never know what's going to happen next season. So I found a Cosmopolitan article that ranked the top 10 romances on Gossip Girl from the worst to the best. And I just want to hear what your thoughts are on this a little bit. (laughs) Number 10 with the worst, they started Uh out with Dan and Serena. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. Oh, I can't. They were my favorite out of the whole series. They really were. And I think part of it was like Dan's like, I don't know, just like his like, I'm like a regular guy. I got this crush on this girl. I don't feel worthy enough. Okay, here's like the big spoiler. If you have not watched Gossip Girl, oh my word, this is don't listen to this part. But in the finale... Like at the end, when you find out that he is Gossip Girl, like it really does change everything. And the Cosmopolitan article completely blamed it 100% on him being Gossip Girl. Like that's like the main like problematic part of like their relationship is it turns him into like this creepy guy and Serena. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, I just try to pretend that he's not Gossip Girl. When I think about Gossip Girl, I'm like, no, he's not. The writers made an epic error. And if they could redo it, they would. So I shall redo it in my mind. And he's not. (laughs) Right. Forget about canon. It's just like whatever your head canon is, that's what counts for sure. Exactly. So Dan and Serena are way higher on the list for me. Now we're going to skip ahead. You hear some, but Number four, they have Dan and Blair. I did not like Dan and Blair together at all. I can't believe that they have them as number four. Yeah, that should be ding, 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 number 10 worst couple worst pairing ever. It was awful. They had number two as Chuck and Blair. Interesting. And number one then was Serena and Nate. And I got to tell you, I'm not so mad at that. I did like that. No, I'm not mad at that. You're not mad. I'm not mad either. I I forgot about that. That is actually the couple that makes the most sense, I think. I really did like them. Oh my goodness. Gossip Girl. So good. I love it so much. (laughs) So good. Such a fantastic binge. It really is. Remember, I've said this on the show. I watched it when I was pregnant first trimester with the twins when I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, It was definitely a good distraction back in those days for sure. Okay. Well, speaking of controversial couples, before we wrap up, let's go really quickly through some of the big love triangles that pop culture has brought to us. Pop culture loves a controversy loves, you know, setting us up to disagree with each other. And love triangles are a great way to do that. So let's go through, I'm just going to toss out some shows or some movies and name some characters who have found themselves, not unlike the entire cast of Gossip Girl in these love triangles. So first, I'm going to give you a few that I personally haven't read, but I'm familiar enough with the storyline that I get the characters and the conflicts here. Let's start with Twilight, that piece of literary <laughs> literary treasure that is twilight of course the driving love triangle there is bella and edward or bella and jacob Pretty and fun. you're assuming that i have consumed this literature <laughs> yes pretty yes, sure yes, you yes, have. I, have, I, have, I have although listen it's a vampire story and you know me and vampires so like it's strange that i haven't read it oh yeah what's wrong you need to jump know. on that you okay do. well i think i am team bella and edward although I like Jacob better. The thing is, is that Belle isn't in love with Jacob. And I just feel like you gotta, I don't know. Like he's like trying too hard. He's like the one that she probably should be in love with. But like, they're just not paired well together. There's just an intensity with Edward that she just needs to cling on to. And she rightfully does. Is Jacob a werewolf? Yes. I like a cross-species pairing, so I may be more Team Jacob than you. But again, I I don't have a dog in this fight. I haven't (laughs) read it, so. (laughs) Okay, Hunger Games, Katniss and Peeta or Katniss and Gale. Is that a thing? I haven't read it. (laughs) You you haven't read the Hunger Games either? No, I don't know. I've been busy. (laughs) I've been busy for a decade, okay? Oh my goodness, it's so good. Skip Twilight and go to the Hunger Games. Okay, so I adore Katniss and Peeta together, but I feel like they are together because of circumstances. Like if the Hunger Games had not happened, there's no way that they would have matched up with each other. And instead, she would have been with Gail. And they are such a good pair together. I feel like in book three, 
like Gale changed in order that we like would no longer like him. Like the intensity between them was so strong that the author like had to make that choice to like change him and like develop this problem as to like Mm -hmm. why it makes sense that they're not together. I mean, I like Peta and Katniss together, but they're together because of circumstance. And I feel like it's almost like this like PTSD that has brought them together and this yeah. shared experience more than this true connection, which I feel like was present with Katniss and Gale. Yeah. So Katniss and Gale is your yeah, OTP? My, uh, your, well, I guess, yeah. Your one true pairing. One true pairing in Hunger Games. That's Rebecca's vote, you guys. I'll read it someday <laughs> let you know where I land. Okay. One set of characters that I'm super familiar with, though, from back in my early adulthood days is Sex in the City. Of course, the famous love triangle there is between Carrie and Mr. Big, or as we see unfold in the sort of later seasons, Carrie and Aiden. I have an opinion on this, but I'm super curious about your idea of who's the OTP here. Aiden, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Aiden. I'm with you. I mean, like, we've all, like, done stupid things as, like, women. You know, we've all made mistakes, but has or any of us... humans, excuse me, wow. as humans. But have any of us made a bigger mistake than breaking up with Aiden? I mean, come on, Carrie. I mean, seriously. I totally agree. Aiden is, I mean, it does play, though, on that trope of, you know, bad boy or sweet, stable, there for you guy. And who are you going to pick? It, like, makes me so angry. I can't even handle it. I just loved Aiden with her so much. I know. I totally agree. I'm also team Aiden, for sure, from Sex and the City. Lost. Did you watch Lost? Are you a Lost I did watch Lost. I watched it in real time, so my perspective on it is different than a binger, but I did watch it. I binged it, and I don't know. We'll see if our perspective differs. So the love triangle there we have between Jack and Kate or Kate and Sawyer. Okay, is this a debate? It's Jack and Kate. No? You disagree? I don't know. I don't super love Jack Shepard as a character. And so I think that colors my opinion. I am more of a Sawyer girl myself. And I do feel like the chemistry, that on-screen actual chemistry between Kate and Sawyer is better. Although, you know, as the series plays out, you do kind of see that Jack and Kate were meant to be together, I guess. I don't know. It's complicated. But I think I'm actually more Team Sawyer, Rebecca. Okay, well, let's move on to the next one. (laughs) Okay, The Good Wife, which you and I watched in the same time frame and certainly have some feelings. I mean, this one's a no-brainer. But the love triangle that kind of is the in the background was actually a huge part of the plot in the earlier seasons between Alicia Florick and her actual husband, Peter Florick, or her lost love of her life from earlier in her life, Will Gardner, whom she meets and reconnects with as an adult after things start to fall apart with Peter. I mean, there's only one answer here, oh, right? Well, yeah. I mean, we do not on any level endorse infidelity except... When it comes to the good life. One very limited (laughs) scenario, Alicia, it has to be Will Gardner forever. Oh my goodness. I loved them so much. I know. Truly. So much chemistry. I just love Will Gardner. Okay. I just love him. And he, it's a tough thing for sure. I only want to talk about it. Okay. Let's go way, way, way back to the 90s and let's revisit the kids at Bayside High on Stay by the Bell. This almost made it as like a blast from the past, one of my favorite romances. Me too, for sure. I had it on my list and I was like, when should we talk about it? But for sure, the whole Zach, Kelly and Slater love triangle. I don't even know where I land. It's so good as a love triangle. I don't know if I want to pick someone. I'm firmly with Kelly and Zach. Firmly. The scene where they broke up on the picnic bench brought me to tears. I was so devastated and felt personally insulted when they broke up it broke my heart it did i loved them so much i could be persuaded of that there's not a lot there with slater if you know what i mean right yeah i mean besides he's enjoyable to look at having your range of vision (laughs) right right. you've got to give that to kelly kapowski for sure but yeah i think in terms of like actual relationshipy stuff i can see being team zach and kelly all the way so oh my gosh this was so good that we didn't even get to talk about some of the problematic parts of romances and how it really is though don't you think it can be such a fine line between like oh he's super into me and doesn't want me to you know whatever and then before you know it you have a creepy stalker who (laughs) 
Well, yeah, I kind of think Super like controlling how, and, you know, all well, of these things. And I feel like how attractive somebody is like really like makes the difference between whether you find their advances flattering or just absolutely revolting. <laughs> I know, maybe, maybe, but sometimes super attractive people think they can get away with things that are, you know, a little bit more toxic because they are super attractive. (laughs) Oh no, there's a lot. Maybe we'll talk about this in the hangout later because truly, as I was like researching for the show and trying to remember past romances, I was like, oh gosh, now that I'm a grown up and I'm looking back on some of this stuff, I'm like, oh, this is not healthy. (laughs) You all all need therapy. (laughs) That's, I mean, yes. Everybody does. Okay, you guys, I know there are so many romances that we did not talk about that you're going to want to come and yell at us about. I mean, we didn't even talk about Gilmore Girls because neither of us have seen Gilmore Girls. And so people are like screaming at us right now that, you know, we missed so many great couples just from that show alone. Hey, we weren't talking about the greatest romances of all time. We were talking about the greatest romances of our lives. (laughs) That's true. That's true. But come yell at us anyway. We love it when you do. Rebecca, remind the awesomes where we can find you all around the web. Well, you can find my blog at simplyrebecca.com and then you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at simplyrebecca. Okay, you can find me on social media at sorta awesome meg. The show is over on Twitter at sorta awesome pod and you can find us any time of the day or night on Facebook at facebook.com slash sorta awesome. You guys, thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.